Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara Carney and I am your host. Welcome to episode 63 of Book of Leaves. This is a podcast where I interview people in Ireland or with a connection to Ireland who are doing something good for the planet in some way. And the whole idea is we get to know their story, what basically made them eco-conscious and we learn from them and take a leaf from their book or many leaves from the book to add to our own way of eco-friendly living, which is where the name comes from. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about hemp. This is a subject I've wanted to talk about for so long, so I thought about getting in touch with the Hemp Cooperative Ireland and Freya Bartels is the amazing farmer that gave me her time for this interview. So I hope you guys enjoy everything as per usual that we mentioned is linked in the show notes including the volunteer network she first experienced permaculture on and um, which sounds so cool so I'm definitely going to check that out. So if you like what you hear, please do rate this review, especially if you rate this review, leave a review or rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, that would be very, very helpful. And don't forget to share with a friend or recommend it to someone or share it on your social media. That would be very, very, very helpful in spreading the good word of all the eco-friendly people in Ireland that I've been talking to. You can also support the podcast on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash book of or buy me a coffee. I have recently subscribed to Zencaster, which is $18 a month. And that's how I'm getting to interview people virtually. So it's kind of helping me a little bit save time, but it's costing $18 a month. And not to mention there's website hosting fees. And I mean, my time is the last thing that I'm thinking of. But if anyone would be able to or would like to support the podcast in that way, if you would buy me a coffee or a pint if we ever met in person, then you can do that on Patreon or once off on buymeacoffee.com and thank you so much to the Patreons who already support me. It is very much appreciated. The last thing I want to plug before I hand you over to Freya is two up to upcoming I cannot speak today two upcoming events one being the climate arts festival called future limerick that's happening in limerick around the 18th of may and I'm doing a talk there with Mancon Magan and Saoirse Exton so if you can come along to that that would be amazing I'll be linking that everywhere on my social media and in the show notes for the next little while loads of other great events happening as part of that as well and also on the 25th of June that weekend um, Cultivate are hosting the Elements of Change Festival which I'll hopefully be involved with but either way that's going to be an amazing eco-friendly festival based in Clock Jordan in Tipperary. I hear it's going to be a very small affair with a maximum of a thousand people so yeah I'm really really looking forward to that. And the IPCC report also came out last Monday. I won't go into that here. I will just divert your attention to the Climate Alarm Clock podcast episode on that in which they break it down in terms that everyday people like me can understand. So give that a listen if you are interested in knowing what it says and you want to know what you can do about it. And yeah, it's just a very enjoyable episode given the gravity of the information that's in the report. All right, that is the little updates from me. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Freya. Catch you after. So 
Okay, Freya, thank you so much for joining me on the Book of Leaves podcast. It is so lovely to have someone to talk all about hemp here. I am probably too excited (laughs) about this subject. (laughs) So thank you for being here. Can you start by maybe introducing yourself to to listeners and also me, like we've never met before. It's our first time chatting. So I don't know, let us know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up, a bit of essence of Freya, if you will. Fantastic. <clears throat> That's no problem. So my name is Freya Bartels and I live in the west of Ireland in County Mayo in what we like to think of as the centre of the universe in Tormacady. It is fantastic here. It's the side of a lake. It's the Parktree Mountains, uh, terribly marginal land. It's all sheep and hills. But um, so I moved out here after I graduated college in 2020 from Earth Science. So no graduation And Trinity sort of had the first cases of COVID. So we were effectively kicked off campus and shipped off to our parents' homes or wherever you could go. And so I ended up back at my parents and I started working on an estate. They have a big garden. So I was their gardener. And uh, then they offered me a permanent job in September um, as sort of a regenerative agriculture slash regenerative soil, all these sort of things overlapping and now we're working on growing hemp and trying some, we use, you know, mushroom compost instead of uh, chemical fertilizer, this sort of thing. So we're doing a lot of organic projects and rewilding a bog, this sort of thing. And that's how I got into hemp then. So there you well, go. That's amazing. So you ended up studying earth science. So was obviously going into college, the environment and something that was something that you cared about already. But like, did you have... An aha moment in life? Was it a, like a documentary or something? Or were you always that way? Was growing up in Mayo and maybe your parents, were they kind of inspirational and like raising eco-conscious children? Or how did you become interested in earth science? So that's, I, I went vegetarian when I was 12, but that was because of Phoebe Buffet from Friends. No uh, way! So there was nothing environmental oh God, about I that at all. the same. Well, it wasn't because of Phoebe no Buffet, way. but I went vegetarian. Because <laughs> growing up in Wexford, my parents just never lied about like where the food yeah. and the plate came from. And I'd be like, this is a cow, right? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, well, I don't want to eat a cow. And they're like, okay. <laughs> that's amazing. See, I was like, I want to be more like Phoebe. So much less cool than yours there. But um, so yeah, that kind of went on. And then I had horses for a while. We had two lovely horses. And then after a while, it just seemed a bit crazy to be eating animals and all that started making sense in my head. Then the whole environmental consciousness was just spiraling until I was 16. Then I went vegan. So that's been eight years now. I'm 24 now. And I would never, ever consider going back. It's just the more you read about it, the more convinced I become. And yeah, then I went off uh, volunteering in Wicklow. There's a place out there called Shlina Bandi, where it's all eco-conscious people. And they have a thing I didn't know at the time called woofers, all these lovely volunteers from all over the world. So we're there sharing ideas. And one of them was mad into permaculture. So then I went off to Austria and Panama and all over the world studying permaculture, but studying as in just living with people who did it already. That was totally an aha moment, just the way people can get food from land that looks like it's not tended it looks wild and yet it's cultivated I just I could not get over how people were doing this all over the world so in a way that was going to be my plan until I got offered the permanent job here so now we're sort of doing something a little bit like that we're kind of trying to go into a bit of rewilding slash eco ways of creating food maybe having a brand at the estate that sort of thing amazing that was it 
That is really cool. I'd love to see, you know, something like a food forest or something in person. I mean, I live in I've lived in the city for like 10 years now, but but I recently got into a discussion with a farmer who was like, how else are we supposed to do it? And I was like, have you never heard of a food forest? You know, (laughs) there's so many like a couple of documentaries have kind of opened my eyes to the way monocultures you know really are a thing of the past the fact that we're how many thousands of years old as a civilization and that has never changed you know our technology has changed all the time and really if we just go back to basics and have everything kind of grown together you get so much more out of it Um, totally oh my gosh I mean there's stuff coming out of India as well now the German Times reports on all these lovely hippie things and gosh, there's literally barren land around irrigation channels. Everything's terrible. And some lad has an acre in the middle with a few mango trees to provide shade. And the change is just huge. He's growing the same thing, but just a little bit more biodiversity. And it's just insane. That yeah. He somehow forgot that is wild. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's it's really, it's it's mind boggling. And I saw, I think I, met, I saw somewhere on the internet that, getting food forests is something that you're also interested in you did an interview or something or I found an article with your name on it anyway and I was researching for the podcast and uh, I was like oh, oh phrase into food forests and everything like that and it is just something yeah. that like it just makes sense and like I guess the downside is it needs a little bit of time to grow totally. but so there's loads of downsides there's loads of downsides I mean if you want to produce food that's cheap the way it is now you need to be able to produce it so that you can harvest it in no time. And it needs to be the same thing so that your harvester is picking the same thing. If you're harvesting by hand, I mean, there's so many farms that have zero profit because harvesting by hand is too expensive. So hmm. it's being done on a large scale is just not an option for farmers right now. They'd never turn a profit. And, you know, that's it's not applicable at all. I mean, they're trying agroforestry. And there's quilches schemes and things like this you could tap into where they'll set up rows of trees on your fields and that's fine for kind of sheep and cattle but I mean if we wanted to change the way they grow wheat or corn or soy that's just not going to happen with current harvesting practices or the way we pay farmers yeah yeah Yeah. this our expectation of having really cheap food is just and then it ends up like a third of it goes to waste anyway it's like what are we doing (laughs) don't even start I know we we end up doing this they're like I'll just chuck it away because yeah. Been on the shelf for two days I know. I know but I think it could be really hopeful if say you know if there was more people doing it at smaller scales you know if if people with yeah. like in the country who have like unused my dad he's been he's been paying a mortgage for god knows how long on a tiny little cottage in in Wexford which is where I grew up and he's got oh, maybe wow. half an acre across the road that he's never ever used he's not a farmer he lets the neighbor's horse come in and eat things sometimes um that's lovely it's really which is cool and he had a friend of his put some beehives in there but I'm like you could make a really cool little like food forest or something and he was like off you go Cara and I'm like oh (laughs) it's too far away (laughs) but (laughs) but yeah if loads of people had did something like that maybe with like little pockets of land that they have I just yeah. I'd love to see that I, community uh, what would you call them community box schemes that sort of thing there's a small farm it's harvested by hand and the distribution circle is 10 kilometers not further than that totally viable absolutely fantastic people come in pick it up it's not 
It doesn't need to be packaged into plastic all the same for Tesco. Mm. Then, then that works. The farmer can sort that out. But that's really asking a lot of, you know, most people would go to this shop and get their lettuce and their tomatoes, but they'd still go to Tesco exactly. for their lentils, beans, rice, all of these big crops. So to, oh God, even just a shift in that direction, though, would be fantastic. Would be so I like I'm fighting against it. I'm so into this. <laughs> no, just it's important to be realistic yeah. as well. This is why it hasn't happened. Yeah. Yeah, but there are, there are com- some kind of community garden is is a yeah community garden schemes. Is that what they're called? Where people yeah. can kind of like pay. They find it's like a subscription service, and they'll give a farmer a fee and and kind of whatever vegetables grow, they're they're part of. Um, yeah, and those exist in Ireland. Yeah. yeah, so that's pretty cool. But anyway, we're yes, here to talk exactly. about hemp. <laughs> exactly. We'll good, I think <laughs> I think it's good to to get um you know just kind of as many juicy ideas flown as possible. But okay. um I've never had someone who has worked with hemp on the podcast before, and I've seen a couple of things on social media and online about how good it is, and it's um, almost kind of marketed as too good to be true. (laughs) But I guess, uh, to start off, can you explain what hemp is? Yes, so hemp is a cousin of cannabis, marijuana, that everybody knows. So there's lots of types of cannabis. This one is cannabis sativa L, so it's a subspecies. Um, One of the main differences between it and marijuana is the THC level. So Uh, industrial hemp has 0.2 or less percent THC while whatever you'd smoke would have much higher than that for a psychoactive effect Um, and industrial cannabis can have a higher CBD level but that's not necessary the main thing is that it has a huge amount of fiber so it has a very thick stalk with a hollow center and so we'll divide that up the stalk is this shape and around the outside is the fiber and in the middle is a thing called shiv or herd and these are used in industry, so you could use that for building and insulation. So that's what cannabis is. That's what hemp is. And it's been used for thousands of years. I'm always reading today. There's since, what, 1100 AD, there's been hemp grown in Ireland. And probably beforehand, they just couldn't write it down. Grown they in Ireland? Lost it. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that mad? So it's well entrenched. Everyone's been using it for ropes and sailcloth since forever, basically. That's okay. So, yeah, and I guess the thing to emphasize for anyone who doesn't know, it is not psychoactive. <laughs> People who grow hemp for farming um, is, is completely different uh, to the other stuff. Yeah, because I think that yeah. does a lot of people, you know, just presume oh god there's the hemp wearing hippies again and whatever totally, like, yeah. yeah, you can just smoke your t-shirt away you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's funny Totally. The, the the perception is that they're the same plant, which is fine, because I'm just assuming people haven't heard about it. Why would they have researched this? But that's changing. And even you know, at a higher level in government now, it's being taken totally seriously. There's no confusion there anymore, which is great. Mm, yeah. Now, you mentioned there that, you know, the different parts of it can be used for so many different things. Like, it can be so strong. I've seen people using it for for what like as you said construction like various parts of construction and whatever but I guess how do you grow it because I mean we're already talking about monocultures there um which are quite bad for the environment so how does this grow and is it actually sustainable yes so this is really interesting I'm really glad you're asking that so the way you grow it is the same way as with a monoculture crop so you would plow and harrow your soil, which, as we know, releases carbon, destroys mycorrhizal networks, 
it's not a good thing, but this is how you prepare a seed bed. So plow and harrow, and then you spread your seed. Are you hearing this hail? Was that was that hail? That's hail. It sounds like someone like folding plastic or something in the background. Oh my gosh, I've got a nice little drizzle here in Dublin. Oh my god, wow. it's been getting crazy. So you might get this later. But, that's okay. Um, that's okay. Yeah, it's getting so loud. This is wow, insane. The so room loud. is shaking. Oh my gosh. It sounds like someone's throwing stones at the window. Anyway, I'm completely distracted. You have to cut all this out. Not at all. No, I mean, it's all okay. We're all into the weather on this podcast. That's Nothing. totally okay. Climate, what's going on with the climate? But anyway, yes, so back to that because it's fascinating. So you have your soil, which has been disturbed. Um, hemp grows really fast. So this is one of the cool things with it that you don't need to use herbicides in the same way that you need to use herbicides for wheat or especially for wheat where you have to kill it off with Roundup. There's a lot of really beneficial things to the fact that hemp outgrows its weeds so there's little need to be chasing after them but you don't need to spray it so that's uh, number one good thing number two is there's a difference between things that directly affect the surrounding environment and carbon sequestration so when someone says hemp is good for the environment they might be meaning that it sequesters more carbon than any other crop it's more than a forest more than an acre of woodland up to four times as much because when you grow an acre of hemp you grow it every year. So if you wanted to make paper out of a forest, you have to wait 20 years and then pulp the wood. Or with an acre of hemp, you get that supply every year. It's less, obviously, than So it's just, it's new plants growing, taking in carbon to grow. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's wild. The fact that and they've so actually harvest... taken more than a forest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a forest takes forever to set up and provides so much habitat, while hemp not providing long-term habitat. So there's no one in there who's going to be harvested away. No one who's built a home and is going to lose it. Mm. It provides pollen for bees, which is exciting. It's not nectar. So there's no flower that needs a bee to pollinate it, but it has male pollen, which is wind pollinated to the female flower. And bees use this pollen as well. But yeah, that's how you would grow it. So you would plow, harrow, scatter your seed, and then you have to roll it to keep the soil to get a nice covering over each seed. And then it takes up to five days to germinate. Your soil temperature needs to be above 11 degrees. And then it takes off, shoots up, and within three months you have six-foot-tall plants, depending on the species you choose. And then away you go. Uh, you're harvesting at maybe 120 days. It depends. This All of this depends on your type and what you're harvesting for. And is it seed? Is it fiber? All these times vary. Whoa. There you go. That's yeah. Just the car. The carbon thing is still blowing my mind because I mean, once you harvest something, you know, they say like say when you cut down a forest, carbon is released again. But mm-hmm. when you harvest hemp, because it's not like being burned, that carbon. Am I right in saying like that carbon isn't necessarily being released? It's still stored yes. in whatever the hemp is put to. <laughs> This is it. So totally. And when you make a wooden house, you store the carbon from the trees in the wooden house. And when you make hempcrete, so this is the concrete that you can make out of hemp, but it's not used in the same way as concrete. It's used as insulation at the moment. Mm. And it has antifungal and anti-fire resistant properties. So this is mixing the hemp shiv, not the fiber on the outside, just the shiv with lime and platinum on the inside of your house. And that absorbs more carbon throughout its lifetime and locks in the carbon of the hemp. So let's say your house stays for 100 years. That's the carbon from one year's worth of hemp growth stored for 100 years. That's why it's such a good sequestration crop. 
Yeah. Now, if you just harvest your seed and you plow in your fiber into the ground, which a lot of people have been doing as a soil improver, that's the same thing. It's stored in the soil. So it's a bit different, obviously, because there's degassing and there's decomposition. All of this brings some carbon back into the, the atmosphere. Sure. But it's still kept down. So it's not the same as chipping wood, turning it into plywood, or burning wood, obviously, is different. But yeah, which really... making hemp for cats, but still. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we need to stop that now. I'm joking. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we'll always find... Every, we'll probably It'll probably be a case of figuring out all the different things that we can do and then going, okay, what can we... What, what's good what should stick around yeah I mean okay. the insulation I had a look at some videos online and that just makes perfect sense because I mean the insulation mostly in houses now I mean in fairness new bills are typically all try, you know trying to be really eco-friendly and lower energy consumption and whatnot but we still have you know if someone is just doing up their attic or doing a shed at home they're just going to go out and buy what's cheap or readily available on the market which are like all these synthetic materials they can be quite chemical heavy as well can't they um yeah absolutely as we saw there's a case in london where the house burned down because sometimes that can happen i'm not trying to say anything there but oh i didn't know i didn't didn't, um hear about that so that was an insulation problem was it it was an insulation problem. Um, and the good thing with hemp insulation is that it is fire resistant. So recently in the States, there's an Instagram account I follow. And a guy had a warehouse full of hemp blocks for insulation. Hmm. And the warehouse burned down and the blocks were completely fine. So he no was like, way. this has to be so good for business because people are seeing that it doesn't burn. Yeah. So, I wonder yeah. if he set fire to the warehouse as a marketing yeah. tactic. <laughs> That's true. I should comment this. Like, you should do it yourself. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> it's so interesting, though. Um, yeah. So using, creating insulation is one thing that you can do for it. Can you do multiple different things with the same kind of hemp? Like, is there much leftover, mm-hmm. say, if that's what you're creating? You know, can some of it be used for, I, I know, spinning fiber or something like that? Or what other yeah. uses can there be for, for hemp as well grown here? So that's that's another good question because people will say, oh, one plant will grow flowers, seeds, textiles, and insulation and building materials. It's fantastic. One plant, one harvest. But that's you do grow different types of hemp for different purposes. So say if you're growing for CBD, it's a very different horticultural process also to get high CBD flowers. So, and also if you harvest flowers, you obviously won't get seeds because they haven't been pollinated. So that that's a totally different plant and the fiber is poor quality. So people don't, or the fiber, the shape, the whole stock, people wouldn't go using that for anything other than maybe, I don't know, for briquettes or something really. They'd probably just put it into their compost and have it as part of the soil the next year. Sure. Um, yeah. So then you have your seed varieties, which can overlap with the fiber varieties. But if you're really in it for seed, you'd probably go for a seed heavy variety which can have a poorer quality fiber as well so people who grow for seed would probably only grow for seed and again plow in the stalk into the soil and then you've got your fiber gang who might have a few seeds and probably would take those uh for seed because why not but if it's too little because you've got a plant that's put all its energy into this massive stalk it's 15 foot tall it's a totally different animal that's that's where you get your really high quality shiv it really high yield from per field you can get four tons or more per acre of hemp so that's that's a lot that's 
in I think Irish they had ten tons per hectare, so that's that's Whoa. very good going. They had huge, huge. That's a couple of there. elephants. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And you can't make any of these things out of elephants, so <laughs> we shouldn't be encouraging that one at all. No. But, yeah, so you've got you've got this huge difference in the plants. Firstly, so you've got to pick what you're growing for. So if you're growing for fiber, and you have to put it through a machine called a decorticator. So these are really big machines. It's a factory. Um, your your plant goes through there. The fiber is separated from the herd. And then you've got two products. You've got your fiber and your herd. So the herd can be used for insulation or plyboard, these sort of things, sort of construction materials. And your fiber, if it's good enough quality, you can spin it. So that will become textiles, uh, either heavy textiles, like sort of canvas, ropes, that sort of thing. Or if you manage to really refine them, you could be making clothes because that needs to be very soft. People have a high standard for clothing these days. So just random fibers torn off a hemp plant's not going to do it for most of us. Yeah, they don't want to go around wearing like flower sacks, scratchy sacks they want. And in fairness, I felt a couple of, um, there's a couple of hemp shops in Joe. Oh my God, look at this rainbow. Wait, hold on a sec. Show me this I don't know if you can see that. Can you see that? Rainbow, like... Oh, gosh, I see it now. Oh my gosh. I have never seen a rainbow like that. It almost looks like there's two rainbows. There is like two rainbows. It's a double rainbow. Yeah, there's one inside. It's like, but there's like, what the hell? It's so strong. It's so luminous. So I just had to, I just had to, we're getting all the weather today, guys. (laughs) We are. I've got some now as well coming in through the window. Maybe you'll get, God, I've never seen that is so cool sorry i got distracted <laughs> the hail in the rainbow don't be sorry i love that that you you were living in the moment it's perfect <laughs> sorry now what was we saying at all there we actually about... managed to finish that off pretty well though before oh nice nice we were talking oh yes. yeah about all the different types of plants oh yeah people don't want to go wearing um scratchy clothes um yes. i've yes. felt i've been to a couple of hemp shops and they sell you know um, they sell clothes made from hemp and it just it does feel lovely you know I have a bamboo t-shirt and it's the same kind of really soft feeling and I think it has the same antifungal antibacterial qualities as well that the insulation has doesn't it if if it's woven into to fiber which is which is pretty cool as for where it can be grown does it need you know the typical fields that other kind of crops can are grown in or you know a lot of farmers will say that in Ireland we only have we have so much you know land that's only for goats and only for grazing and whatnot does it work in places like that or what what kind of environment does it need that's a good one I'll I'll unpack that slowly so you have arable land and then you have your pasture land it's called pasture land and that maybe two-thirds of that is unsuitable for growing crops so you have your your arable land, and in Ireland that tends to be south or in the east of the western counties, so East Mayo would be a lot better off than we are here in the Partry Mountains. But last year we grew hemp on two separate acres, one of them the top of a hill with kind of poor soil results and heavy clayish, a lot of rain. Nice, nice field for here, but only had sheep on it and had been grazed this short for probably the last 15, 20 years, you know, never any soil or grass regeneration, just a, a little bit maybe in the summer be topped. And the other field was even better. It was total marginal land. So we were taking gorse off it, 
it was right up the mountain. There was water coming out of the hill like there's no tomorrow. By the end of harvesting, we couldn't get up there anymore with the car because the wheel, well, car, it's a Land Rover, like the wheels would just spin like mad. That was really marginal land. Now, we did fertilize it, so we brought up mushroom compost. Spent mushroom compost is kind of a little bit of a new experimental way of fertilizing your land. The really good thing is that it's got organic matter, which is the massive thing missing in chemical fertilizers and organic matter turns out to be one of the most important things in delivering your nutrients to your plant. And it also has slow release nitrogen. So that's, it's got eight kilos of nitrogen in it, but it's slowly given to your field over time. So we put mushroom compost on it last year. It'll be giving nitrogen for as long as eight or three or five years. Who knows? But um, this is all because I'm a little bit hippie. I didn't want to go with industrial uh, or chemical fertilizers so we went with mushroom compost on this marginal land on this other hill we did plow and we did harrow and we ended up having to do it twice not the plowing just the harrowing because we sowed too early but this is just an example of how it can grow on absolutely terrible land and still get good yields from people who are doing it the first time and have no idea what they're doing so i was growing it with a bunch of farmers they're they're amazing such good crack it was lovely to work with them but again they have never grown a tillage crop uh, I'm not a farmer at all <laughs> and so that means I had even less idea and all I had was a load of enthusiasm and yet we managed mm-hmm. to get hemp to grow so I would take that as sort of proof that it can grow anywhere so long as it's not waterlogged soil or just stones it'll grow if you give it a chance and if you fertilize right uh, people will say you should put it in your best soil though if you're growing it on your farm don't go being like sure look that's the place where the sheep never go I'll stick it there and see what happens <laughs> that's definitely not, not what you should do but yeah, there's there's lots of potential for it to be used in small fields on small farms. Why not? You know, I think everyone's kind of going, Asher, if it's tillage, we leave it leave it to the lads in Wexford and Waterford and let them at it. People with bigger fields or with the tillage regime already set up. You know, say mm. harvesting is tough when you don't have a combine harvester in the area or in the county because no one grows large scale tillage crops. So that's that's another thing. Growing could can be done everywhere harvesting not so much I see okay and can you eat hemp do people because obviously food sovereignty is a thing I (laughs) see some hemp I don't know in like you know hemp seeds for example but I guess does is there is there any uses for it within our food industry yes okay so there's a lot of potential for oils, for hemp seed oil to be used, but it say they say it doesn't work well with heating, so it's not a frying oil. It'd be used in whatever salads or coatings or dressings. But then hemp seeds, like you're saying, have massive potential as a supplement, as you use them in bread, in baking. They have a very high magnesium content, so people will use them to relieve aching joints and that sort of thing. They're a very healthy seed, but in terms of making flour or something, it's not that kind of crop. It's more beneficial in the industrial side the food side is a wonderful added boon and hemp seeds are used in in mainly in seed mixes you know you get them in tesco or needle or something you mm. get a seed mix hemp, hemp seeds in there cool so, yeah there's potential there the one problem is they have a hull a really crunchy hull some people <laughs> don't like that so there's a machine that takes that off and then yeah you usually you'll see on the packet like hold hemp seeds and whatnot yes, so, yeah, that's it hold hemp seeds they're yeah. they're the job because good. the crunchy bit is annoying and so what is the industry like in ireland you know you, you just don't 
I'm sorry, but the dairy farmers get all the kind of, and the beef farmers, they get all the limelight and you just never hear about the hemp farmers. Are there many? And like, what's the industry like? Do we have to export it or is it being sold here? Okay, yeah. So um, I'm with the Hemp Cooperative Ireland. So what they're doing is they're trying to link farmers with industry. So they're sort of trying to create the value chains that will eventually let hemp be a large scale crop and let hemp products be bought and sold among people in the normal way that other products are done. Because right now we have willing farmers. So there's about 250 members of the co-op and there was, I think it was 70 applications, 77 license applications to grow hemp. So you need a license to grow it, which means that there were 77 farmers that acreage was 251 hectares in 2021, which isn't much. You need about Mm -hmm. 4,000 acres which is maybe 2,000 hectares to even show up on the Department of Agriculture's radar. Oh. So right now, yeah, oh, absolutely. It's like someone growing crocuses. You know, it's not it's not a big deal at all. So they're, they're in contact with the co-op, which is great. It's very exciting. But they're saying, look, if you want to become a proper crop, proper market, you need to be growing more acres, which is what we're really trying to do. We're trying to get people to experiment with it, to start supplying, start getting the knowledge that you need to create these value chains. So one of the big problems in the Irish scene is that there's no processing facilities. It's all cottage industry. It's you're the farmer, you're also the processor, and you're trying to find a buyer. So that's not the way it is with dairy or with beef or with mutton, nothing, or lamb. You're always bringing your product, your animal, your plant, whatever it is, to someone who will do the processing for you. Mm-hmm. Unless it's, you know, there's, there's loads of little cottage industries where you're trying to keep the value closer to home but on on a large scale you know no one's a butcher and a farmer on in the mainstream but in hemp that's how it has to be at the moment because it's still all so small so Mm. there's even there's people growing for cbd for flour and that's an even more restrictive market you have to be processing it at home so that ties you to home setting up your own processing facility someone can't set up an outside facility for you for hemp flowers that's all very limited restricted for processing fiber or shiv you need to set up a massive plant so you're looking at five to ten million investment to set that up so that's these people need to see that there's so if there's any investors that listen to this with five million (laughs) to spare (laughs) absolutely get the word out there we're looking for an industrial hemp processing plant but there's things moving there's people who are building these facilities so there's two potential sites in ireland but whether that goes ahead all depends on whether the farmers are there to grow the crop and whether the buyer is there on the other side to yeah. buy the decorticated head. You know, someone needs to make insulation. Someone needs to make plyboard. All of these things need to come together. And it's chicken and egg. Everyone's saying that in the hemp scene, it's a chicken and egg situation where how do you get the farmers to grow when there's no one to process it? And how do you get someone to make a facility when they can't buy any hemp and they can't sell any hemp? Yeah, that's really, that's really annoying. And yet again, we've got another bloody cheese processing factory after being given the green light in Kilkenny. Yeah. And you're like, did this, has anyone heard of climate change in the government, in the department? Like, come yeah. on. Oh. Yes, this, this is refreshing. Yes. It's so, it's so frustrating. Um, but it's so good to hear that, you know, a cooperative like the hemp co-op exists so you're a lot of members who are trying to you know obviously help each other and encourage farmers to I guess try hemp and say if there's a farmer listening or I'm a farmer how would you if they had got a bit of land Mm -hmm. 
what would you say to them to be like come try the hemp train oh my gosh yeah so first thing i'd say is look up the hemp co-op and get in contact with them which might be me if you're living in connacht i run the connacht hub with another board member if you're elsewhere it'll be someone else so there's eight board members and what they would do is uh, give you advice and send you in the right direction for licensing which is the most tricky step of hemping i would say because for me, I hate paperwork. I'm not good at it. It takes me a while to get used to it. So licensing was the hardest part. You sort your way through that. And then you order your seed, which can be done with the co-op. But it might be a, t- a touch late for this year. Then I would suggest going to a farm. If you're in touch with the co-op, there will be lots of people who are willing to let you come over and see or to chat or to have a Zoom call. That's so helpful. That's what we did in our first year. Even though we did it in winter, there was no hemp. But there was a guy there who had grown hemp in this soil. So that, that was definitely hands-on. And then think about what you want to do with it. So you've talked to the board members and you've decided, uh, I'll just grow it for the crack. I'm just going to experiment. I'm not going to bother with harvesting. I'll just cut it down with a mower. Or you're saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to grow five acres for fiber and I'm going to go with this. You know, that's really important to work out before. So yeah, that's what I'd say. Look at licensing, look at your land, look at why you want to do it and get in touch with the co-op because that's how you meet people. That's how I met yeah. people. It was fantastic. Yeah. And if you feel like you've got a village around you, even through your computer, you'll be more likely yeah. to kind of stick it through with that kind of support. And Definitely. how can people, I mean, are there ways people can support the co-op? I mean, I rent in Dublin. I'm not a farmer, <laughs> but I would love to kind of support the industry. So how can people who aren't farmers help? I don't know if there's any kind of campaigns or, or whatnot, but yeah, how can other people help get hemp um, onto more acres here. If you wanted to get involved with skills that you have in the hemp cooperative events or anything like that, we're always open for this. If you are a researcher and you are looking at researching anything related to hemp or value chains or business or setting up uh, rural enterprises, all of this stuff is fantastic. If you have knowledge of how to get funding from Enterprise Ireland or anybody, these are people can always help us with whatever skills they have. If you are a graphic designer and you really wanted to help the co-op, you could join in with that. A really good thing is to become a member. So becoming a member of the co-op feeds into what funds are available for the co-op and also how many people we have in the group. So there's a mobilized group where people share ideas and there's posts going up and the more people are in there, the more chance it is that if someone says, look, I've got this problem, does anyone know a solution? the board chancellor is someone will say yes I live in Dublin and I know this that and the other and that's the way definitely cool so you Every can become a member is- even if you're not a farmer you can become a member of the co-op absolutely absolutely yeah I joined as a non-farmer there's architects there's like I said graphic designers and now look at you ha, ha, ha. <laughs> scrabbling my way to the top I'll be clean before you know it <laughs> but this is it there's so much opportunity because it's such a young like enterprise it's such a young co-op it's such a young industry as a whole what the hell is hemp it's all starting here it's so much fun that's really cool yeah. that's really cool and I'll include like all the socials and the website and everything that people can yes. find mm-hmm. it but yeah we've we've kind of talked about the obstacles but I mean the the lack of I guess processing infrastructure and the fact that you're not really on uh, the department's kind of radar but have you found much kind of um, people being fearful of it or you know not wanting to be associated with him are there any kind of obstacles around that okay well that's that's good firstly the department is being fantastic they're in contact with the co-op and 
it is coming onto the radar, which is brilliant. That's good. That's good. The work they've been doing. Exactly. No. So hopefully now there'll be some movement. But there is one big, massive problem for the hemp industry, and that is relating to CBD, which is a cannabinoid found in the hemp plant, same as THC, but it's not psychoactive. So they're both in hemp, uh, specifically industrial hemp, very little THC and loads of CBD. Depending on which one you grow, there's more or less CBD. And there's an issue where the license you get says it's grand to have a hemp plant in the field with 0.2% THC in it. But when you make a product and it has 0.2% THC or maybe more because you've refined an oil, the Gardi have a zero tolerance on THC. So when you put that on a shelf, the shop owner is in a massive, in massive trouble. Their stuff gets seized. It counts as a drug. It's a misuse of drugs act has zero tolerance for THC. So if you're making anything with the flowers, anything at all, first thing, you can't make tea. Tea is not allowed because it's the whole flower. So you're selling the flower from your farm. That's not allowed to happen. You have to destroy it on site. So if you're trying to make a CBD oil, there's no way to do it. That's you're being shackled from so the start. What the heck? I mean, I have CBD oil from the UK that I recently started taking to see if it would help with um, kind of anxiety and PMS and stuff. And yeah. so how how does that exist then? Is it just that in the UK, I think it is a, a British brand that I have that they're not like the, the, the guards or the police over there haven't got that kind of really strict thing they about do. the flower? Or they, they do? do? Oh, Yeah, I was on their website actually earlier today. I'm looking into it and uh, they're, they have a zero tolerance policy as well. So they, they have been trying to change something. They've been looking into ways to standardize the amount of THC. So there's multiple ways of checking what has no effect on the body, what has a little effect on the body, what's the lowest detectable effect of THC on the body. And so they try to say, you can have this much in your product. And if you seize a product with that in it, it's not a problem. The, the police or the guardie can't take it. But okay, sure. we're calling the police. The guardie that's not being changed, it's not being looked at. So that's what they're calling the lacuna in the law. There's a bunch of articles about that as well, because that's a huge problem for anyone trying to make CBD oils. The same thing with licenses in the UK. The farmer is technically not allowed to use the flowering tops, they call them, so that includes the leaves. You can't use those. Wow. Yeah, it's it's got to change. And I think it is changing because Germany is legalizing or at least decriminalizing marijuana. So this means their food safety authority has to change the way that they deal with cannabis products and they're loosening up on CBD because everybody's fairly tight on it. So this means the European food safety authority is trying to get everybody in the same boat. Cool. They don't like when one's different than the other and it's all a bit yeah. of a mess. So I think they're going to start slowly changing. So obviously the UK is outside that now. So who knows sure. what they'll do. Well, that would be good now, in fairness. I mean, I also wouldn't be against decriminalizing marijuana. And if that was got us closer to, you know, improving hemp farming, yeah. I'd be all for that. I mean, if, yeah. in the future, if that happened, hemp farmers would know how to grow that crop and it would be a matter of adjusting to different crops. So if that happened in the future, that would be great. Right now it's illegal, so not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. sure, hopefully there'll be changes to make it a little bit easier to grow hemp because it seems to just be a bit of a, a no-brainer for so many things, which is pretty cool. Totally. And I'd say totally. I have a feeling we've only like scratched the surface as to like its uses and stuff like that. But um, Yeah, oh, no, no, absolutely. I, I mean, you could talk yeah. for hours about the uses and the environmental benefits with the carbon sequestration and 
you know, green building, all of these things. So Freya, before we um, get to some random questions to close <laughs> the interview off, have you, have, is there anything else that you would like to share yourself to listeners? Uh, it could be anything at all, even yourself, or not related to farming, any other suggestions that you might have for people or thoughts? Um, I would say that people are quite stressed at the moment, that there's a lot of craziness going on that people are worried about food insecurities and all of these things. And I'm observing a lot of kind of useless turmoil. I'm saying useless because it's, you know, nothing can be done with that. We're all watching what's going on in Ukraine and we're hearing, okay, we need to grow food because there's nothing there. And I would say, I don't know, people should meditate and be present and try to sort of be aware. I know this is completely different, but I'm just, um, this is what I was observing today among my colleagues and coworkers. We're all talking in circles about something that we can't do and it's good to find something you can do maybe if you wanted to look at food foresting or growing hemp or anything like i said before get in touch with the co-op if you would like to help in any way or if you would like to grow your own fruit and vegetables should take a whack at it i grew vegetables on a balcony in dublin when i was living there it was terrible it didn't work at all but it was good it was something to kind of something to do yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm making compost in buckets and I'm living for the worms who have found their way there. I'm like, how did you, like the bucket was on yes. concrete for so long. And I'm like, how did you find this bucket? Yes. So even though I don't really have much to do with the compost, I'm still, it's so exciting. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, I think it was Blind Boys, I'm not sure. And there was something in it about this worrying. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's useful worrying, like thinking, okay, I have to worry to remind myself to pay rent and just be kind of wary that that money in my account isn't mine. Okay, but to repeatedly kind of think about it or to worry about something in the future that you don't really have control of, you know, ask yourself, is this useful right now? Totally, (laughs) what's that that quote about knowing what you can change and what is within your control and separating the two and all this lovely stuff? Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking there. If you, if you want to try and do something, it's so nice to look close to home. What can I do here with my hands to make exactly. you feel like I really did something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With your hands, especially, especially if it's in some microbes that make you happier. Okay. But um, yeah, that's it. I love that worms in the bucket story. Fantastic. Good woman. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for that tip. I guess to finish off, we're going to ask some random questions right now. Freya, if you want to pick a letter of the alphabet, because I chose letters rather than numbers just cause, and there'll be a random question associated to it. Um, I went with A. It's the first one. <laughs> A. Oh, interesting. Where in the world would you teleport to first? So you've got some carbon-free travel here. Where would you go? Do, oh, Patagonia. I would Patagonia. I would want to go to those those peaks down there and check out some of those crazy glaciers and mountains. And Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, straight away, Patagonia. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I've yeah. never... There's so... I've oh, There's so many places I need to go. Okay, that's a good one. So All right. There you go. Um, another letter. C. C. If... I'm sticking to the front of the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. The end is scary. <laughs> That's okay. We'll exactly. Um, if you could look into the future as it's going to be, would you do it? Yes. Would you? Yes. Yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. I can't wait to see what we're like in 500 years. What would we do? Yeah. Like, what's going to happen? I haven't a clue. Yeah. Um... But sure, it might be class. I mean, we might be looking at the future. Yeah. God, we actually made it. You know, it could happen. Yeah, that's so true. Like, um, yeah, it's so true. It'd be so interesting to see. I'd love to. I don't think I could resist not looking like. um, Yeah, that'd be really interesting. And one more letter. J. 
Which three fictitious characters are on your apocalypse team? Oh my gosh, my apocalypse team. Okay. Well, have you read Inkheart? No. <laughs> it's, it's a German book, but there's a dude in there who's super cool. I think in English he's called Dustfinger. Very Dust cool guy. Finger. I'd be hanging out with him. He's, he knows where his nice long coat. He can hang out with fire, that sort of stuff. Um, who else um, is a nice fictitious character? Gosh, I mean, I'm trying to pick people who are good crack now because I don't want to hang out with someone boring I, for the whole time. Yeah, I asked, so I asked yeah. someone this the other day and they were like, oh, you need someone to make you laugh. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, gosh, totally. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you need someone funny. Gosh, I don't want to pick someone too fast. I mean, I might go with Lucky Luke. Who's He's Lucky Luke? Oh my gosh, he's like a comic from the 1980s or something. Oh, sorry. I never, uh, comics were, I just never got into comics oh. at all. Okay, so Lucky gosh. Luke is another one. Lucky Luke is another one. You have, you should, I grew up with three older siblings and they had all these comics. I don't even, maybe even from my parents. They're tattered and they're hilarious. That guy'd make you laugh now. Oh, he's, pretty good. Yeah, there you go. So he's good crack. I've got cool. random people here now. Hmm. Some sort of Morgan Freeman. I feel like he's very calming. Yeah. You know, he'd be able to handle whatever. Morgan he, Freeman in anything. Yeah. He just exudes chill, calm energy as well. And yeah. then but can also he like scare off people if you need him to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, he'd be smart enough. Maybe maybe Morgan Freeman in um is it seven? No, Zodiac. Or no seven, it is seven. I think it's seven. It's a horrible yeah. kind of thing. It's yeah. seven, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah Him yeah. in that. He's very, very good in that. He's a bit dark, yeah. but that's fine. It's the apocalypse. He's, yeah, he's happy. able to deal with what's going on. Okay, yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. Your apocalypse team sounds like Craig Crack altogether. I'll have to join you. <laughs> um, you can hang out with us. We'd have a great time. In 500 years, when we've gone to the future because we chose to. Yes, with our hemp backpacks and our insulated, Absolutely. you know, the whole world went on fire and all that was left standing was all the insulated hemp <laughs> yes. houses. Guys, like, we're literally telling you. Absolutely. Freya, thank you so, so much for this chat. It's been absolute pleasure and best of luck on the hemp cooperative journey. And but yeah, thank you so much for this. It's been yes. great. Thank you so much. It's yeah, it has actually been very lovely. You're a kindred soul, and I'm so glad you're doing this work. It's brilliant. And you're great crack. You're on my apocalypse team as well. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of Book of Leaves. Don't forget if you want to get in touch with Freya or the Hemp Cooperative Ireland, you can check out the show notes for links to the website and social media that should be available on whatever plat- platform you're listening to this podcast on. And if it's not there, you can always check out my website, bookofleavespodcast.com, where everything is fully linked. And they also had an event in Dublin recently on the 8th of April. So they all met lots of different, like loads of different people that were interested in hemp were there, including lots of co-op members and everything. So yeah, get in touch and get, support them if you can, even if you're like me, you're not a farmer, but just interested in the industry. So we've a long way to go, but it's interesting, I think, to know where we are and where we stand at the moment. And yeah, they could really use our support. Uh, as always, don't forget to recommend this podcast to a friend, share it on social media leave a review and you can support it on patreon or by makecoffee.com as well okay i'll talk to you guys in two weeks time for episode 64 thanks so much for listening bye